0: Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior If you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message, and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Amen. What a
1: blessing this morning. I'm so thankful to be in church uh, on Sunday morning. I know there's a lot, uh, uh, there's a lot of places that could pull us away, but we're grateful to be here this morning. And I'll invite you to John chapter 19, verses 16 through 42 this morning. And uh, if you look on the back of the bulletin, you'll find our sermon outline has seven points. You'll be grateful to know I'm not going to preach all seven today. Uh, And so, hey, my son, the loudest, said, Amen. Uh, But uh, we are going to at least uh, begin this as we see the death of Jesus Christ, and we see this powerful moment in Scripture, and really what we see is John desires for us to be able to, uh, to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that this is the Jesus, this is Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we see here that John states some very plain facts, but in doing so, he also reveals to us the fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament. It would have been scriptures that uh, perhaps the Jews in his time had been very familiar with, and so we're going to reassociate ourselves with some of these things. But the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ is the climax of the redemptive history. And it is really the moment uh, where it is the focal point of the plan of salvation. And 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10 says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, that's what this is all about. And when John wrote this gospel and, under the inspiration of God and, and he shared what God had done here on Calvary, we are drawn back to this place where God has a great love for mankind. You see, it was this love of God that sent Jesus Christ to the cross. It was this love of God that sent Christ as the Lamb of God, and He poured out His life as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus was sinless. We were sinners. The Bible says in Romans three twenty five, "...whom God had sent to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God." To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. A few verses before that, he makes the proclamation that we're all sinners. See, we're all in need of this propitiation, we're all in need of this sacrifice for our sins today. And while the cross is that supreme expression of God's redeeming love, it was also the ultimate manifestation of our depravity because it was our sin that nailed Him to the cross. It was our sin uh, that cost Him His life, and it was His love and grace that was displayed there. And so Christ was willing to endure... He endured the hostility and hatred of sinners. You know, when I come to Thanksgiving, I come and I say, Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. And it's that spirit of gratitude that enables me to have a desire to continue to serve Him, a desire to continue to learn about Him. And I'm just so thankful that we're called this week back to that spirit of gratitude. And may that continually be our heart as believers that we would be thankful. But see, God was, Jesus was God incarnate. But it's hard for us and the world to comprehend this. How could the God of the universe be willing to come to this earth? The Bible says in Romans eight seven that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It doesn't. Not only does it not comprehend it, it's even against these things. But it, what we see in John chapter nineteen is this was hell's hour. It was their moment to bruise the heel of Jesus. But I remind you, up from the grave he arose. Amen. It didn't end on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And though today we're going to see the death of Jesus, I remind you, Jesus didn't stay in a grave. You can't go to Palestine today or Palestine. You can't go to Jerusalem. You can't go to these places. You can't find a grave filled with Jesus' bones today. You can go find the bones of Muhammad. You can find the bones of Buddha, but you can't find the bones of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, we serve a wonderful God. We serve a God who's still alive. Jesus suffered because it was part of the plan of God. It was God's plan for Him to suffer for us. Isaiah chapter 53, as part of the uh, prophetic uh, verses that were written hundreds of of years before Jesus ever came to this earth, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief. When thou shalt uh, make His soul an offering for sin, He shall see His seed, He shall prolong His days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. You know what it says? He says this was the God's will was God's desire that He might give His life for our ransom. See, at the cross, the Lord, who is the Lord of all the universe, the Lord used even the wicked schemes of evil men to fulfill His perfect plan. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherein He loved us. I'm reminded of God's great love. And Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up uh, for us all, how shall He not with, uh, with Him also freely give us all things? You see, God declares His great love to us, not only in word, but especially in deed today. And so the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We know John 3.16. We believe this. And let me just call you back to this, that God's rich mercy drove Him to love us even when we were unlovable. Sometimes I look in the, uh, in the mirror and, and uh, you know it's easy uh, for us to, to grow egotistical and it's easy for us to, uh, to bask in our own greatness. And then God says, "Listen, there's nothing good in you. I love you because I'm merciful. I love you because I'm God." See the theme of the cross runs throughout John's gospel, from John one to John uh, twenty one. We see throughout the gospel that John John desired for us to be to see that God sent not sent His own Son to die for us. Sin, which is part of which all of us are sinners, the Bible says that all of sin comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no not one. We recognize that from Romans three ten and Romans three twenty three, but sin sin. It damns us, it dooms us to the spiritual death Romans, uh, Romans 6.23 says, uh, For the wages of sin is death. And this is a spiritual death, a death that Revelation 20 re- uh, talks about specifically, this second death, and which without Jesus Christ, all those without Him will be cast into a lake of fire. These are things that the Bible literally discusses here for us. And as we see this, I want to just remind you that God in His great love doesn't desire for you to suffer eternity, and thus His Son was sent to die in your place. And so Jesus warns us in John 8:24. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins for if ye believe not that I am he ye shall die in your sins. John the Baptist also added this in John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, the only remedy for sin and the only remedy for the eternal consequences of sin is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thus we come to John 19. John 19. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission folks let me tell you his blood had to be shed so that we might be redeemed christ also we see in hebrews 9:26 and 27 appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself so when you look to Jesus Christ today, and when we see Him in all of His glory there on the cross, and we see Him crucified, as John describes here, what I remind you is that you, uh, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, Jesus was also lifted up, and if you'll look to Him, if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll be forgiven, your sins will be removed, and you're given eternal life. Listen, no other God, no other religion, nothing else except Jesus, and Jesus alone is worthy to save today. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me just encourage you, we're going to read what He, he has done for you. We're going to see the, what the Word of God has offered for you. And He offers for you hope. He offers for you eternal life. He offers for you a life brand new. And that all comes because Jesus was willing to die in your place. The just for the unjust. So last week we saw the conclusion of the trials, or a couple of weeks ago the conclusion of the trials of Jesus. These, these trials were just a sham. They were just a show, if you will. And they ran him through. There was not much of a trial, although there was uh, six times he was declared not guilty. And he was declared repeatedly that he was innocent and Pilate, though he was cowed by the Jewish leaders. And he uh, went ahead and, and uh, allowed him to be crucified. And John chapter 19, and verse 16, the Bible says, "...then delivered he him therefore unto, uh, to, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away." And so we come to this place in John 19, and we see where John records for us this incredible sacrifice of love, this offer of redemption for you today. It's a gift. It's not something you're forced to receive, but it's a gift. Offered freely, offered not because you deserve it, but because God loves you. Let's look and see what He has done for you. Let's start again in verse 16. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two other with him on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wore a title and put it, uh, wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews." This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And then said the chief priest to the Jews, to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout, and they said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. And after this Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture must be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop, and put it into uh, put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, "It is finished." He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first. And of the other, which was crucified with him, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers, with a spear, pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth, knoweth that he saith, me, and he knoweth that he saith true that he might believe. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled: a bone of him shall not be broken. And another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. And he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and besought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Let's stop and pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture Lord, this one that touches my heart so dearly every time I read it. Lord, the sufferings of our Savior, even the death that He endured. Lord, may we never grow cold or calloused to the sacrifice that You've provided for us. Lord, may our hearts be grateful this Christmas and Thanksgiving season. Grateful because He came to die. That was His whole purpose. We love You, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had doubts about something? Many Christians experience doubts in their life. They wonder, uh, you know, uh, if, if God has, uh, has really saved them. Sometimes we experience doubts um, uh, in a relationship. G. Campbell Morgan, who was a tremendous preacher, enjoyed quite a bit of success even as a young man in preaching. And by age of 19 years old, he was pretty well known in his area already, and, and the writings, uh, and, and so uh, he was influenced quite a bit by people around him. And people had given him books by people like Charles Darwin and John Tyndall and Thomas Huxley and Herbert Spencer. And it caused him to begin to doubt, and these agnostics who had... Uh, began to influence his mind and heart began to infuse some doubts in his mind. Now listen, you may not read Charles, Charles Darwin, you may not read John Tyndall, but you probably watch uh, the television or, or you get on Facebook or, or social media and you see these things and they inundate our, our mind. And so we can understand what it's like to, to have those influences that doubt make us to doubt. And so as he read through their books, he began to question is the god that my god my father served is the god of the bible really god is this something I can trust? And, and so he was just totally shook to his core by the things that he had read. And so he went to a bookstore and he bought a brand new Bible, one without any marks in it because he'd written in his old one quite a bit. And, 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 and so he took it home and he said, I'm just going to put all the other books aside. He locked them in a cabinet and he put those everything else away and he just got his Bible and he said, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to read this and I'm going to determine, is this real or not? Well, the results was that in seeking the Word of God, he said, the Bible found me. And the, Bible, and the history tells us that G. Campbell Morgan in 1883 gave, uh, was given over once again afresh in his mind and his spirit uh, to just his renewed love for the Lord. And his preaching and teaching ministry uh, really grew exponentially after that moment because he came back to this place that I can trust the Word of God. As we come to this place in Christ, of Christ's death, and we come to this place in Scripture, I would say that no other place in Scripture has been uh, more mocked, no other place in Scripture has been more doubted than in this passage right here. I'm going to share with you some things uh, about this today to help solidify our faith today. And in these, just the first three points that we'll cover today, I want to just encourage you that we still serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the God of my father and my grandfather. He's still the God of my children. Listen, He is still God today, and I can rest in Him. I can trust in His promises and in His Word. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we want to come to the Word of God. We want to come with an open mind and an open heart and see what God has for us. And so first off, let's look at verse number 16 once again. We're going to see the place of His crucifixion here uh, as we look at the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus specifically. And let's look in verse 17, I'm sorry. And he says, And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Now, we come to this portion in the passage. We find the Lord has been tried, he's been falsely accused, and now we find him being led to the place of his death. The execution site was called the place of a skull. The Bible also calls it Golgotha in the Hebrew. In the Latin, it is Calvary. It's the name of the site. It's probably derived from the shape uh, and the resemblance of a skull. Think about what does a skull represent? A skull represents death, right? This is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and what church? The life. What what an incredible mockery that Satan used to uh, to, uh, crucify our Savior on a place that represented death. The giver of life, the sustainer of life, was crucified on a hill called uh, the place of the skull. And so there is some dispute as to which hill could have been the one that Christ was crucified on. As a matter of fact, sometimes we sing, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And in my mind, I've always thought, well, yeah, it's far away from here. But it wasn't that far away from Jerusalem. The Bible says in John 19 and verse 20 that we read just a moment ago that Jesus was crucified, was nigh to the city. It was close by. As a matter of fact, it was common practice. The Romans wanted uh, these prisoners to be lifted up in a place where uh, people passing by, coming and going into the city, would see these people crucified so that they would be warned against detracting from the Roman government. And so these, uh, these people that were crucified were oftentimes in a place where people would come into the city or they would depart from the city. And so we see this even in the narrative and throughout the Gospels that people passing by, they would revile him, they would mock him. Well, the location then is is uh, a main thoroughfare where uh, Jesus would have been crucified, and just outside of the old Jerusalem's northern wall near the Damascus Great, there was a rocky hill that bears the resemblance of a skull. This is a really old picture, uh, but you can kind of see it there, and so you can see this place of Golgotha, this place of the skull, and you can, and, and you can see this uh, if you look very closely. I think there's another picture, Brian, that kind of zooms it up a little bit, uh, and you can kind of see the two eyes and the nose as it, it makes it out there a little bit. Now over time this has eroded quite a bit and they have since poured concrete up next to it and made it a bus station. I think we have a modern day picture of what it may look like today. You can see all of the buildings and everything uh, and I think there's one more picture which you can see it uh, and so it's not quite as clear as it maybe once was. But many people believe that this place is Golgotha. It was a place that would have been close by where they would have reviled Him. And it was a place where the, uh, the Gospel of John gives us another reason to believe that Jesus was crucified here uh, because He was said uh, that one, they passed by, they reviled on Him, they derided Him, they blasphemed Him, they insulted Him, and so as they walked by into, uh, into Jerusalem, they would have looked up to this hill and they would have mocked those up on top of the hill, including our Savior. Today, we... We don't think much about this place, except for maybe Easter. But what makes this place special is not the location as much as the person. Let me talk to you about who was hanging on that, on that cross. Pilate, in verse number 19, wrote a title and put it on the cross. And he says, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. I think there's another uh, title that's just entitled the person there. And so it was a customary that a criminal being led away to, uh, to be crucified then was, had, had a man who would go before him and carried a placard. And he would have this placard in his hand and he would, it would proclaim to everybody who walked before him the crimes that he committed, insurrectionist robber or, or some other title that would uh, would uh, the, the accused would be guilty of. And as he carried the cross to the execution spot, uh, everyone would know why this man was being accused. But Pilate had already declared that Jesus was a man who was innocent. He said, Behold, I find no fault in this man. He was completely and totally without sin. He didn't deserve to die on a hill. He didn't deserve to suffer for, uh, for sin because he had no sin. That's what made Him worthy to die for me and you. And so what Pilate did instead was he wrote on there, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now this was kind of a jab toward toward those uh, Jewish officials there they had already made a mockery of him. They had uh, done everything they could to twist his arm and make him bring a verdict. They threatened a riot if they didn't, he didn't crucify Jesus. And so because of that, we see that, that Pilate uh, makes a mockery. But regardless, God uses both of these groups to declare who Jesus really is. Jesus really is King of Kings. We're going to see that in a few short years when Jesus Christ comes riding in. Amen? And we're going to see that verse in just a moment. Uh, I'll get there in just a minute. But listen, the governor had probably done this uh, because one, these Jewish people were not loyal to Caesar. They proclaimed to be, but they weren't. They rejected Jesus as their king, so he kind of poked the bear, if you will. And he held up this inscription uh, and had this amounted to to the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The inscription also identified him as a Nazarene. Now, Nazareth was an insignificant little village. Uh, It was was rustic. It was kind of run down. It was looked down upon and scorned by people of Jerusalem. And so, when Pilate would have said, Jesus was of Nazareth, this is your king, what he was saying is, this is all you're worthy of, is a king from the outskirts of nowhere. John chapter 1 and verse 45 when Philip told Nathanael about Jesus, he says, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did, did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's reply in verse 46 was, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? They didn't like Nazareth. Think about the worst town that you've ever been to. Uh, and we, we, every t- time we go back to Texas and we visit our folks, uh, we go through a little town called Pryor, Oklahoma. And when we go through Pryor, Oklahoma, uh, their wastewater treatment plant is somewhere in proximity to the highway. And so somewhere along the line, we started calling it Stinky Town. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be from Pryor, Oklahoma, because that's all I can remember about Pryor. And we broke down there once on our way to Texas. But the, listen, they were, he was saying, he was proclaiming to these Jewish people, listen, all you're worthy of is a broken down uh, bumpkin from the outskirts of nowhere to be your king. And look at him, he's nailed to a cross. His pilot expresses his contempt, but he also, in the same doing, demonstrates who Jesus really is. The Bible says in Revelation that there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will truly de- declare Himself to the world that He is the King of kings. matter of fact, there's, uh, when Jesus came the first time, He came as the Lamb, but one day He will come as the Lion. And the Bible says in Revelation 19 and verse 16, And He hath on His vesture and on His thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our Jesus today. The Bible says in Philippians chapter two in verses 10 through 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that at the name and that every tongue should confess that uh, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, what made Golgotha special was not that it looked like a skull, and what made it special was the fact that our Jesus, who was, who was the King of kings and the Lord of Lords, the, the one who is the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, was willing to die there for you and me. You see, that's our God. That's our Lord. So do you just take my word for it? I hope not. Let's look at the Word of God. Now, we believe here at Hillside Baptist Church that the Bible is true from beginning to end. From Genesis 1, we believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then be in the end, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. We believe it all. We know what the uh, we, we uh, endeavor to, to study and apply it in our lives. And, and because we believe it, we're going to go back to the Word of God to see the fulfillment of prophecy. Now, the prophecies that were written of Jesus were written hundreds of years before Him. So when we go back to the Old Testament in your Bible, I remind you that it was not written post-Jesus, it was written pre-Jesus. Okay, in the sense that uh, His birth, Jesus has always been, I'll just say that. He's always existed. So let's look here at some prophecy in verses 17 and following because sometimes we look at these verses in verses 16 and 17 and 18 and we think, well, these are just uh, some, some typical historical facts. For example, "...then delivered He therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led Him away." But let me remind you that Jesus was led like a lamb. Pilate pronounced sentence on Him... He handed Jesus over to the soldiers. They took Him, and and the Bible says, "...and they led Him away." Matthew chapter 27, parallel passage to this, in verse 31 says, "...and after that they mocked Him, and they took the robe off from Him, and they put on His garment on Him, and they led Him away to crucify Him." Listen, the Bible talks about this hundreds of years before this point. Isaiah 53 and verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He uh, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. You see, he was led to Calvary. That prophecy was fulfilled. F.F. Bruce stated, John is emphasizing emphasizing that as his arrest in the garden, Jesus is still in command of the situation. He is, quote-unquote, taken to the place of execution, but he is no reluctant victim. He was instead willing to be led. We find Jesus was not a helpless victim, but He was the Good Shepherd laying down His life for the sheep. Jesus, just a few uh, months before this, says in John 10, 11, I am the Good Shepherd, and the Good Shepherd giveth His life for the sheep. They didn't take it. He didn't pull. He didn't, he didn't beg and scream for mercy. He walked willingly up the road to Calvary where He carried His cross. He was led. Secondly, we see Him carrying His cross. Even this was a fulfillment of Scripture. As the soldiers led him away, Jesus was bearing his own cross, uh, which was a standard Roman procedure. But the condemned prisoner was forced to carry uh, the cross piece on his his shoulders uh, as he was led through the streets to the execution site. And so uh, the sight of a beaten and bloodied and terrified prisoner was enough uh, of an instrument to be able to uh, prove to people that crime does not pay. But listen, ever since Jesus has come, our forefathers have recognized from Genesis 22 the picture, the, uh, 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 the, the picture of Isaac as he carried his wood to the, uh, uh, to the place where he was also offered as a sacrifice. In Genesis 22 and verse number 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took fire in his hand and a knife, and they went up both of them together. You see, Isaac was a picture of Jesus, and Jesus was willing uh, to carry his cross. It was a fulfillment, once again, of what God had laid down centuries earlier so that we might have redemption. The third thing we see is that it it took place outside of the city. In, In Old Testament law, Numbers chapter 15 to verse 36, and in Roman practice, executions took place outside of the city. And so when Jesus went out of Jerusalem to the place of execution, what we see is that it was a fulfillment of this. Exodus chapter 29, and verse 14, it says, But the flesh of the bullock and his skin and his dung uh, shalt thou burn with fire without the camp. Not in, but without. It is a sin offering. Leviticus also adds in 4.12, Even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out shall he be uh, burnt. Listen, Jesus was the final sin offering, and He was executed outside of this city. Hebrews notes this, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 and 12. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is uh, brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people with His own blood, suffered without the gate." You see, Jesus wasn't crucified in Jerusalem. It was just outside of the city gates. And there we're reminded, once again, it was a fulfillment of what God had laid down in the Old Testament. Third, fourthly here, we see that Jesus Christ was lifted up. After Israel complained against Moses in the wilderness, the Lord sent serpents among the people. In the book of Numbers, chapter 21, and verse 6, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. And so, as they acknowledged their guilt, they desired uh, help from the Lord. And verse number seven says, Therefore, the Lord, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from his. And Moses prayed for the people. And so, in response to this, God gave Moses instructions regarding how they would receive healing. In verses 8 and 9, once again, it goes on, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall uh, come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass, if a serpent had bitten any man, when he had beheld the serpent of brass, he liveth. This, once again, was a picture of Jesus. John chapter 3, Jesus met with Nicodemus, and He told Nicodemus this in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, referring back to Numbers 21, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He prophesied it, of it again and wrote John 8, 28. Then said Jesus said unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He. And then I, had, I do nothing of myself. He said, Once again, I will be lifted up. And John 12, 32. And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. John twelve thirty-three. And He said, Signifying by what death He should die. You know what Jesus was selling? He was saying, Listen, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy from Numbers 21. You see, the Lord couldn't put to, be put to death by stones because it'd be, uh, He would be uh, beaten down. And so God used the Romans to crucify Jesus, and He was lifted up. The fourth thing, uh, fifth thing we see here is the crucifixion. The crucifixion. If we just look at, in general at the crucifixion, uh, John doesn't go into great detail about what all happened on that day, uh, but instead John focuses on the Savior instead. But There is a remarkable passage in the Old Testament. Look in Psalms chapter 22 in your Bible. Because David, who had no knowledge of the crucifixion, had never even been around, literally it had not even uh, been devised by evil men at this point, he penned a vivid description of Christ's crucifixion centuries before it ever happened. The Bible says in Matthew 27 and verse 46, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, look in Psalms 22, verses 6 and 8 through 8. It's almost, it is a quote from the beginning of this part. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me, laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Again, once again, we see there's parallels between Matthew 27, verses 39 through 43. And they says, and they passed by, reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, now that destroys the temple, build it in three days, save thyself. David also depicted uh, this in Psalms 22. In verse number 14, he talks about the exhaustion he suffered. In Psalms number 14, he talks about his uh, uh, from hanging on the cross, the extreme uh, disjointed figure of his body. His bones were not broken, but his bones were out of joint. He talked about the stress on his heart. In verse 15, of his failing strength. All of this was fulfilled on the cross by Jesus hundreds of years later. Sixthly, we see that they cast lots at the foot of the, of the cross. I always found it interesting that, uh, that John and the other gospel writers would make mention that they cast lots for Christ's vesture or His outer garment. And in doing so, what they're saying is listen, this is part of the fulfillment of the scriptures. The, the, the action that the soldiers were, uh, were taking here was the fulfillment of what God had told that would happen to Jesus Christ. Mark notes this uh, if you look in Mark chapter 15 and verse 24. And when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever man should take. But his tunic or his outer layer was without uh, seams. And so if they didn't want to cut it up. They didn't want to divide it. And so they opted to cast lots for this uh, piece of property. They, they wanted this nice garment. Psalms twenty two eighteen 18, a fulfillment of this. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. What a stark fulfillment of who God is. Over and over and over. There's another one. Number seven, he died among thieves. Jesus, when He stretched out His arms, He wasn't alone on the cross. Matter of fact, when we look and we see scenes of Calvary, we often see three crosses on a hillside, don't we? We see that lifted up, and, we, and we, the one in the middle is always the big one, amen? but listen, we're reminded that Jesus wasn't alone there on that hillside, and this too was a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 53, and verse 12, he says, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You know what he said? He said, listen, as people looked up to Jesus, they reviled him, because they believed that he was a sinner just like the ones around him. When they looked up to Jesus, they mocked him, because 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 he was counted a transgressor. Christ fulfilled this prophecy and many, many others just like it. You see, John wrote this, and he pinned all of this down for a purpose. In John 20 and verse 31, and said, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. You see, the whole reason that John writes this, the whole reason that we come to the Bible today, the whole reason we still come to church is because Jesus is the Son of God. There's none other Listen, there's not, He's not one of the many sons of God. He is the only begotten Son of God. And today, as we come to church today, we believe that. We worship Him. And maybe today you just need to be refreshed in your spirit and be thankful because He is a great God. But maybe you come today not knowing whether Jesus is God or not. Maybe you come today and you say, Listen, Pastor, I don't know whether Jesus is real or not real. And, and you know, maybe this has spoke to your heart as you see the revelations that God has given to us from the Bible that Jesus truly is is the Lord. Let me just let me just mention something. There was a pastor who once had a seminary class and as he had the seminary class he he brought in and he brought and he set down a, a, a jar of beans. And coffee beans are great, amen. So I used the coffee bean illustration and, and as he set that jar of beans on the countertop of his desk, he said, Alright folks, he says, this is what I want you to do. How many beans are in that jar? And so everybody wrote down an estimate, and they hollered it out, and they put it on a whiteboard. On one side of the board was a, how many beans was in the jar. It says, all right, now my second question is, what is your favorite song? And they wrote that on the other side of, of the whiteboard. And he says, all right, now, is there a right or wrong answer with the beans? They said, well, yes, obviously. There was 382 beans, and so-and-so and so got the closest, but none of us were right. He says, So there is a right or wrong answer with the beans. Is there a right or wrong answer with your favorite song? And they said, no, it's arbitrary, whichever we want. He says, here's the problem. When we treat religion like our favorite song, instead of treating it like the beans. Sometimes we say, well, what's good for you is good for you, but not necessarily good for me. But the Bible says there's only one truth. His name is Jesus Christ. And he said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now listen closely. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, it's not what's your favorite. It's thus saith the Lord. There's only one way, folks. And that's the grace that God's extended you today if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't know if you're going to heaven or or what's going to happen to you when you die, listen, today you can know for sure because Jesus has made the way possible.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?